and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. want us today to think about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. How would you know somebody that is? How would you know if you are yourself? How would I know if I am myself filled with the Spirit? Obviously it's important because Paul here gives a command. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, of course, I'm sure most of us know that there's lots of books written about being filled with the Spirit. What it means and how it can happen and what it was like and so on. And the problem is, if you read more than one, you'll discover that there's more than one view in virtually everything. One person will say it's this, another person will say it's that. And they won't just say that about one aspect, but they'll say it about every aspect. So there's a a constant, um, if you buy books, there's be a constant uh, range of different explanations about about what being filled with the Spirit means. And of course, you might say that, well, what's the point of having a sermon about it? Because you're not liable to make things any clearer either. So it's, um, and that may very well be the case, but um, I'd just like us to think about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. No doubt, we're all aware of different people in the Bible that were filled with the Spirit. Like Elizabeth, for example, when Mary came to see her after the angel Gabriel had been to see both of them and had informed them of the amazing things that were happening uh, in them. Because Mary, sorry, Elizabeth was expecting John the Baptist and, of course, Mary was, had been told she'd be the mother of the Messiah And when they met, we're told that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and made her response to the arrival of Mary. And later on in that chapter, we're told that Zacharias, um, when he had been struck dumb for not believing what the angel had said to him about uh, the birth of John the Baptist, but anyway, the time came after John had been born, and the family were getting together, and they were having a disagreement about what to call the child, and they appealed to Zacharias, and of course, he couldn't tell them verbally that he wrote, he wrote on something, his name is John, 
And after that, he was filled with the Spirit and began to speak. We know that Peter, on the day of Pentecost, he and the other apostles were filled with the Spirit, and they began to speak. Ananias told Saul of Tarsus that when he would be baptized, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul, on that occasion, was told to be baptized speaking, confessing who the Lord is. A group of people were praying in Acts, a connection to Peter in prison, and we're told that as they prayed, they were filled with the Spirit. So there's all these, uh, and there's a lot more apart from them. So there's all these individual actions. And we might assume from that that therefore being filled with the Spirit just means getting some special divine encounter. But somehow or other, God takes over in our faculties and we say something incredible like all these different people did. But as we look at these particular incidents, there's nothing said about any of them that indicates that that was the only kind of thing that would happen when people were filled with the Spirit. It just says that they were led to do that, to to make these particular responses at those particular moments. But that doesn't mean that that was the only times in their lives when they were filled with the Spirit. And indeed, Paul's words here, when he says in verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. It's a present tense. It means keep on being filled with the Spirit. Of course, it is a command but it's a command for continuity. Continuity is normally regarded as a very good thing. Well, I suppose here we could regard this as God's plan for continuity. That we just keep on being filled with the Spirit. And the... We have to ask ourselves in that situation some questions about it. Like, when should we be filled with the Spirit? What's a good time to be filled with the Spirit? I wonder how we would answer that question. Well, Paul gives us the time when we should be filled with the Spirit. He says we should be filled with the Spirit when the days are evil. That's the context that he mentions here, isn't it? He says it there in verse 16. The days are evil. And because the days are evil, we need people who are filled with the Spirit. So that's the when we might say. Why do we need to be filled with the Spirit? Well, Paul again tells us in these verses why we need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit so that we would understand what the will of the Lord is. 
He says that there in verse 17. We have to understand what the will of the Lord is. And of course, the will of the Lord is what he's already said in the, in the, in the context, that we are to redeem the time. So that's why we need to be filled with the Spirit. When? When the days are evil. Why? Because we need to know what the Lord's will is. I suppose we could ask ourselves the question, well, well, what stops people being filled with the Spirit? And the answer to that question, of course, is sin. Uh, personal sin. It's obviously not the sin around us because the sin around us around us is part of the, the days are evil. But they're not going to stop us being filled with the Spirit. It's only our personal sin that stops it. But having said that, every person who in this world who is filled with the Spirit is a sinner. There's no such thing as a sinless person in this world who's filled with the Spirit. There may be millions of people around the world today filled with the Spirit, and hopefully there are, because that's what Christians should be, filled with the Spirit. But every one of them is a sinner. But they are sinners who know what they have to do with their sins. And all of us know what we should be doing with our sins, don't we? When we sin, we should repent. That's straightforward. When we sin, we should repent. Whatever the sin is. Because whatever the sin is, it stops us being filled with the Spirit. So anytime we sin, we have to repent. That's what Christians should do. Of course, those who are not yet converted, they can't be filled with the Spirit. Not in the sense it's being described here. It's impossible. But it's not impossible for them to get converted. And it's not impossible for them to get converted now. I mean, it's our responsibility if we are already converted, it's our responsibility to confess our sins when we commit them. And if we are not yet converted, it's the responsibility of those individuals to embrace the gospel, to embrace Jesus, to trust in him, to commit themselves to him, to repent of their sins, to ask for his pardon, his forgiveness, his mercy, and to do it wholeheartedly because they believe it's possible and just approach God and say to him, forgive me, accept me into your family, I've given, you, I've given you two options. And I suppose the question is, 
have each one whatever group you're in. Made use of the options that were given in the last two minutes. If you're Christians, we come here to meet with God. And it may be very important for us to confess our sin. And if we are not Christian, I mean, why are we delaying? Or why are you delaying? But anyway, sin has to be dealt with before we can be filled with the Spirit. And that goes if we're Christians. And of course, if we're not yet believers, why aren't we? And that's a really important question. Why are, not, are we not believers if we are not yet trusting in Jesus? I know we can come up with all kinds of doctrinal matters about divine enablement and things like that. But I suspect that often they are excuses. Diversity tactics. It's our responsibility to go to God and speak to Him. We don't have to travel an inch. We can do it where we are, right in our seats. But anyway, how long are we to be filled with the Spirit? As Christians, how long are we to be fulfilled with the Spirit? Well, the answer, of course, is all the time. Paul's words make very clear here that there should never be an occasion when we are not filled with the Spirit. But that leads us to ask, of course, how do we know? Want to think of wine and fellowship and then some other thoughts. We might be surprised that Paul contrasts or compares being filled with the Spirit with being full of wine. Here he's got two kinds of drinking. We drink wine or we drink the Spirit. As he says there in verse 18. Those who are drunk with wine, well, the reason why they are in that condition is because they're full of it. In contrast, or in comparison to them, they're to be filled with the Spirit. And of course, we, we remember, don't we, that on the day of Pentecost, when the disciples were filled with the Spirit, the response of the onlookers 
was that they looked as if they had been drinking wine. And Peter had to respond to them and say, well, no, that can't possibly be true because it's only still the morning. But there must be some kind of similarity between drinking wine and having the Spirit. And we shouldn't be too surprised at that. Because quite often, the Holy Spirit, His arrival, His influence, is likened to the effects of liquid. As we know, as this verse in Isaiah, chapter 44 and verse 3, For I will pour water on the thirsty, and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. There's God himself, and he's likening the coming of the Holy Spirit into a person's life as a downpour. He doesn't say it's going to be a trickle, So when we're talking about being full of the Spirit, how much are we expecting to get? How much is needed in order to bring about the circumstances that will will indicate that we have drunk enough to make it obvious to others that the Spirit is at work in our hearts? Paul also reminds us that we do drink of the Spirit when he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, the verse we mentioned last week, For in one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. The Spirit is given to us to drink and to drink abundantly, Now, what happens when people drink wine? Too much of it, I mean. Well, they may start speaking. They may even start singing. They may even start, in the society that Paul was in, calling on their gods. Of course, they may also have an argument. And instead of helping each other, they may start fighting. But that is the effect of wine on people, isn't it? What's the effect of the Holy Spirit on people? If taking uh, wine brings about these changes of speaking, of singing, of calling on their gods, of disagreeing with one another, what is the effect of the Spirit on those who drink Him? 
Paul tells us what it is. They start speaking. They address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They start singing. Singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. They start calling on their God. Praying to the Father in the name of Christ. And instead of arguing, they submit to one another. These are the signs that they've been filled with the Spirit. Speaking, singing, praying, submitting. It's not too difficult from that list to work out if we're filled with the Spirit, is it? All any of us has to do what do we talk about? What do we sing about? What do we pray about? How do we react to one another? It's all very straightforward and simple, isn't it? And it would indicate that being filled with the Spirit has all to do with fellowship. That seems to be quite clear from Paul's comments, doesn't it? Fellowship of believers. Fellowship with God. It's a bit like the verse in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16. When they that feared the Lord met together and thought upon, upon his name. And they so pleased the Lord that he took note of it with the intention of blessing them. As you look at these verses there in Ephesians chapter 5 and, and verses 18 and 21, it's very important to note the structure of it. The five things have been mentioned. Speaking, singing, making melody, praying, submitting, five participles. They're all connected to the verb, be filled with the Spirit. The first and the last of them are about one another. first one is speaking to one another. The last one is submitting to one another. Numbers 1 and 5. Numbers 2, 3, and 4 are not about one another. They're about God. We sing to the Lord. We make melody in our hearts to the Lord, and we pray to the Lord. It's quite obvious that Paul has structured these exhortations. The 
two external, two exterior ones, I've got one another. And in between, there's the three that we do to the Lord. And of course, he's telling us there, isn't he, that we have two audiences. Those who are filled with the Spirit have two audiences. Or two groups with which we interact. One of them is God. The Trinity. The Father and the Son and the Spirit. Yeah, there is other Christians. How we react to them. And what we do to both these audiences indicates whether or not we're filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another. But psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Edification. I don't mind telling you, I think the phrase refers to the book of Psalms. Why? Because the Psalms are all about experience. People in those days didn't carry Bibles around with them. They didn't exist in that form. The only way they could carry a Bible around with them was to memorize it. And they memorized the parts that were easier to memorize. But the whole point of memorizing them was to speak about them. And when they met together, they spoke about the things that were happening to them in their spiritual life. If they needed to, they would speak about Psalm 51. Or if they needed to, they would speak about Psalm 1. About thinking and meditating on God's Word. But the point is, before they sang, they spoke. And it would look to me that in order before they could praise God, they had to speak about God. It's almost as if they had to warm up each other's hearts by speaking to one another about the things of God. And having done that, they couldn't help but sing. Sing to the one they'd been speaking about. And of course, that raises a whole kinds of challenging questions, doesn't it? Not enough for Christians to get together. If all they're doing is what everybody else does when they get together, what's the difference? We have to speak about the things of God. It's crucial. 
This is the first step in being filled with the Spirit. Tell. Share. Volunteer your experiences. Who knows who's waiting for your help? And remember that the outcome is going to be that when these things are shared, praise is the automatic outcome. And it may be that the reason why sometimes our hearts are reluctant to praise is because of our conversations. Paul says very clearly here, if you're going to be filled with the Spirit, people will know it by what you talk about. And they'll know it as well by the effects of what you talk about if it leads to singing and making melody in your heart. We all know the story about the great singer who sang Psalm 23 and sang it perfectly and people applauded. And then the always an old Christian came along and kind of sang Psalm 23 and got no applause except the audience was in tears. Who sang from the heart? Making melody to the Lord It's good to have, to please the ear of the human listener. But there's somebody else listening. The God of heaven. And he's the best judge of the melody. So, we talk with edifying and we have singing that extols and that's followed if we're filled by the Spirit by prayer giving thanks says Paul always so it means that that word always is kind of striking isn't it it kind of suggests that if we forget to have Gratitude in our prayers. The prayer is not coming from someone who's filled with the Spirit. We give thanks for what God is doing through us and to us and in us. And in Paul's words here give the impression that they kind of enumerated them Father, I thank you for what you're doing in my life. I thank you for what you're doing in somebody else's life. And we do it in the name of Christ. Christ. 
In his name, we have the authority to go and speak to the Father about one another. To speak gratefully, full of gratitude, rejoicing in what God does for us. Challenging, isn't it? What's, what comes after speaking and singing and praying? In the lives of those who are filled with the Spirit, they're submitting. Submitting to one another. And in the next three sections of this letter, Paul gives examples of submission. Talks about husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and servants. But there are only three examples. There's lots of other ways in which we should be submitting to one another. And what's needed before we can submit to anyone? And the answer is humility. It's impossible to submit if we think, it's impossible for me to submit to someone if I think I'm better than him. Submission includes humility. And it's a clear evidence of being filled with the Spirit. It's all part of fellowship. What we speak about, how we sing, how we pray, and the extent of our submission. That leads us to a couple of conclusions. Here we have a reminder that we're involved with the Trinity. Filled with the Spirit, we talked to the Father, and we're aware of Christ. Those who are filled with the Spirit go through life just a conscious of the Trinity. And why not? That's what baptism's all about, isn't it? That's what the benediction is all about. Thinking about the Trinity. You don't have to be on the level of some great theologian to think about the Trinity. Trinity have told us who they are. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Another conclusion from these, this description by Paul of being filled with the Spirit is that there has to be a right relationship at two levels. There has to be the 
horizontal relationship of one another. And there has to be the vertical relationship with God in heaven. A third feature of these verses is, of course, the centrality of Jesus. Because Paul refers to him three times in these verses. Where he says there in verse 19, making melody to the Lord. Normally, when Paul uses this divine title, he has Jesus in mind. Because that's the title he's been given. The name above every name. And then he goes and points out that we give thanks to God the Father in the name of Jesus. And then he says that we submit one another out of reverence for Christ. Jesus is just central in the lives of those who are filled with the Spirit. They can't forget him. Whether it's to do with the one another's or to do with speaking to God. And the last thing I'll just mention is that those who are filled with the Spirit, they participate in the basic spiritual disciplines. Speaking about the Bible. Praising God together. Praying together. And when that happens, they submit to one another. I mean, after all, if we've been praying for someone, surely we can submit to them. Shall we pray? Lord, it's clear that the spiritual life doesn't require us trying to find out how to do it. You've told us we have to speak the right things. We have to praise you from the heart. We have to pray and we have to submit. None of these requires rocket science, but they do require constant attention. Lord, help us to remember the possibility of being filled by the Spirit for him to be so permeated through our hearts and minds as we drink him, as Jesus himself said, when the Spirit is with us, out of our inner man flows rivers of living water. Lord, help us to be that kind of channel that saturates 
those we have contact with. Do it, Lord, for your own name's sake. Amen. We'll sing Psalm 130.